Sports Talk continues with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. It's this time that we get to welcome our friend Gerald Hodges, SEC replay official to the show. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. To join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. Gerald, how are you? Doing well, Jimmy. John, good well, to see you. Good to see you. We'll, we'll dive right in. We've got a number of things to touch on. Uh, there was a play in the Tennessee game. Uh, that was uh, rather interesting. A Vanderbilt running back is carrying the ball, and he grabs a face mask of a potential tackler who I think was wearing number two, and tear and takes his helmet off. Okay, so, right, face mask. Uh, face right. mask. So on the same play, a Tennessee player's helmet comes off, and he continues to participate in the play. So the officials ruled offsetting. Uh, I think some people were confused because they thought. That uh, the helmet that was ta- that was t- grabbed and, and ripped off by the Vanderbilt player, that they were calling the penalty on number two. It wasn't. It was on number ninety-four. Just talk about that rule and why the rule is in that. Hey, once your helmet comes off, you can no longer participate in the play. Sure, Jimmy. It uh, it kind of ties in with the the rule, and it's a safety issue mm-hmm. uh, that uh, if the runner's helmet comes off at any time during the play, then they blow it dead right then. Uh, so they thought, well, there was a loophole there. So they decided that uh, if it comes off on the defense rather than blowing the whistle and killing the play, because otherwise you might have a player break free and the, the defensive guy just takes his head yeah. off, stops the play. So and they think about a lot of these things. So what they did is uh, if any other player other than the runner Helmet comes off. They allow the play to continue, but you're supposed to stop immediately and not participate participate in the play because I mean, if you try to make a tackle with no helmet, you're going to get the short end of that. So that's the reason for that. So they're supposed to stop, you know, and not participate any further once their helmet comes off. I was reminded of uh, back in 2000, one of the first games Casey Clawson played in at Tennessee was against Alabama, and his helmet got ripped off, and he continued to play. At that time, the rule was not in effect. That's correct. Right. And people were like, boy, what a courageous. And I thought, man, this guy's got some <laughs> some guts about him. Exactly. But, but they put this rule in a few years ago when they adopted some other safety right. rules. Exactly. Right, exactly. That's correct. Okay. Uh, there was a play uh, late in the Tennessee game, and I want to get your take on, on this. There are a lot of moving parts here. So uh, Tennessee punts it. Vanderbilt returns a punt. On the sideline, Juwan Jennings makes a tackle on the Vanderbilt player. I thought he had a foot out of bounds. I thought it was borderline. I could see them not calling that. Then there's some jostling going on. Jennings gets up, and as he walks away, he didn't see the player, but he stepped on him. And then a lot of players from the Vanderbilt bench run about halfway toward the Tennessee bench. There was no flag thrown for anything. Uh, I thought you could have thrown flag and made offsetting penalties. Gerald, are there situations where you don't throw the flag when you know it's offsetting? You just... Let it leave it alone, or do you think Vanderbilt should have been flagged for leaving the bench? What What's the rule on that? Help me on that rule. Well, the players leaving the bench is an unsportsmanlike foul, okay. and uh, I I understand it was kind of late in the game. About three minutes left in the okay. game. They then they would have probably went with offsetting fouls, and mm-hmm. you know went through the you know procedure to do that and announce them all, and then they're offset, and then basically you're back to square one. So. Uh, I would think probably they knew they would have would have had. Now, of course, you have, you know, a personal foul that's a flagrant foul, then that you could have an ejection there. So that would be the same. But if they if they 
felt like they were going to have offsetting dead ball fouls. They probably just, you know, didn't do it. Is that where common sense comes in? Is look, the game is late. This, you know, people have been there four hours. Uh, just not a whole lot of reason to do offsetting. Let's just continue playing, get this game right. over, get it is cleaned that... up, and you know, get everybody back in their, you know, team areas, and then you know, finish up on the game. Okay. Uh, did you have one, John, that you wanted to run by, or I was going to ask something about Alabama-Auburn? Did you have another? Oh, no, one? not from Tennessee Vanderbilt. If you want to go to the next one, I've got one, but not for not one related you to on that. Yet. Okay. Um, in the first half, late, uh, there's a play by Auburn. They get a first down. There was a debate about whether there was a second left on the clock. After a first down in college football, of course, the clock is stopped. There's so there's a second that's put on the clock, uh, and as they're trying to determine whether to put the second back on the clock, Auburn is lined up in position to try to kick a field goal in case they do put time back on the clock. Uh, in that tight situation, Gerald, is the, is one of the officials, does he need to stand over the football and then signal ready for play and the clock starts? Or knowing the time element, would the official stand behind it and then signal the ready for play. How, well, how does that work? Okay, the referee, the white hat, is the one that marks the ball ready for play, and he'll signal the ready for play with a whistle and then wind the clock. Uh, in a really short time span, if the clock is way down, they won't stand over the you know over the ball. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes you'll see them just put their hand on the center, and he'll tell him, "Don't snap the ball until you know you hear the whistle." And then he'll back because you don't want him snapping it with the center judge right in the middle of the play. Right. So the center judge will back up, and then the referee will mark it ready to play and start it. So uh, it's it's definitely possible to get one play off. They don't have time to spike it, of course. With one second with left, one though, second, you can get the play off. You can get a play off. That's correct. And, and so, so Team A was probably pretty smart to be lined up to try to kick a field goal not knowing whether they're going to put time back on the clock or not. So get ready just in case Correct. they do. Correct. They didn't know what the outcome of the review would be, but okay. they were in position and ready to go in case. Okay. No. So what's the rule in terms of spiking it? Does it have to be two seconds or more or three seconds or At more? At least three seconds. At least three. So three is the magic number. Three or more, you can spike it to stop the clock and, and then get a, and then take your time. you got 40 seconds after that or, well, 25 depending on what the situation is, but 40, you know, if. Okay. If you have a question or comment about the rule book for Gerald Hodges, 656-9900, 656-9900-STAR-990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Did you see uh, the end of the Egg Bowl? I did. Uh, that was the only game in town for the, yeah, that's for the true. nation. So That's true. I, I did. So, it's interesting that there had been an act like that that was that was penalized earlier in the Egg Bowl history. In fact, recent history. I think it was just two years ago. Mm-hmm. DK Metcalf. Yes. So there, we'll just say precedent had been set. But there's also <laughs> timing is everything. Um, what did you think? There are some people, and they'll automatically jump to social media. How do you call, how do you throw that flag? I don't think the crew had any choice but to throw that flag, did they? Well, that is true. Uh, unfortunate, the kid made a bad choice, uh, and uh, the you know plays over, and it's a dead ball, unsportsmanlike foul. So it obviously can be uh, penalized on the extra point or the ensuing kickoff. So obviously, to move the extra point back, the defense would take the 15 yards 
and then you saw what happened. Yeah, and most coaches will go with enforcing it on the kickoff as opposed to the extra point. But in that situation, Joe Moore had made the right call and said, we're backing up the point after as opposed to the kick. Yeah, that that's a coaching decision that's you know pretty obvious there because they they had to have the extra point to tie the game. Mm-hmm. So you know, roll the dice there on you know a, what would it be eighteen twenty thirty five yard extra point longer than the NFL extra point is these days. Uh, yeah, because it went from twenty to thirty five yards, and and you know that had to put a little bit more pressure on the kicker, thinking oh, I can't miss this one, yep. can't miss this one, and it came down to that. Uh, there, it, it, you had mentioned the DK Metcalf, Odell Beckham, when he played at LSU, maybe five or six years ago. You're right. Did the same thing, and I don't. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time saying, well, the emotions got to him. Oh, you planned this. Yeah. You you intended to do this if you scored. I got. I have no uh, sympathy for a player doing something like that. I, I just. I think he knew what he was going to do if he scored. He did it. He deserved to get penalized. And too bad for Ole Miss. I just no sympathy. Yeah, I agree entirely for the player that committed it. Right. Uh, I I certainly had a little appreciation for Coach Moorhead, who immediately afterwards says, "I feel bad for the kid," meaning yeah. the kicker. Yeah. Right. Be- but it was that was his best opportunity to impact the play, and it was the kicker that got settled with and paid the punishment really for what the player did in what was his premeditated but also ridiculously stupid moment. Um, be- now tell me this. Any different reaction to that play if it happens in Oxford as opposed to Starkville? No. None whatsoever. Okay. Didn't that know if that was an obvious unsportsmanlike. I don't care if they were in Yankee Stadium. Yeah. The same. <laughs> I, I, where I was going was thinking whether or not it's any difference that you're playing to a crowd that's majority, vast majority, your own fans as opposed to what was also a, a taunting type issue. Well, actually, no. In that situation, wouldn't make any difference. Yeah. But, okay. Let's get to the phones and check in with Doug. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Doug. Hey, guys. How are you this evening? Doing well. Hope Good, you Doug. are. So just a quick question. And when I look at it, I see pass interference. But early in the game Saturday, when Jarrett threw the interception, it seems to me like the defensive back was into our receiver all the way into his route. And even when he turned around to catch the ball and then intercepted it, that he was into him. Why was that not pass interference? Or if you, as you see it, did you think it was pass interference and should have been called? That was that's my main question because I've watched it a couple of times on the internet and on Twitter. I was like, this, it just looks like pass interference to me. Uh, and I, I really felt bad for Jared because I, I thought he kind of got knocked off his route and then it, it caused the interception. So maybe it's just battling, but it seemed like it, it pass interference to me. Doug, I'll have to, I'll have to let uh, John and Jimmy officiate that play for you. Well, I did okay, not. Okay, no, that's fine. Here, here's what I thought. I, I didn't think it was interference because I thought the guy had just as much right to go for the football as the receiver. And so based on that, was there contact? Yes, but I thought he clearly was going for the football, and I, I did not see interference there. John, did you get a chance to see that? I have not. I, I didn't. Okay, I didn't know if on replay or you'd watch the game yet. I know you were down in Florida. So, but that—that's yeah. what I thought. I thought he was going for the ball. Yes, there was some contact, but I—I I think there's some leeway when a defensive back's going for the football. He has just as much right as the receiver. That was my thought. Right. Now I agree. I agree with that. But I, I think the contact was happening before the ball was released, which I thought that that was an issue. If the ball hasn't been released and there's contact, 
I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just seeing it differently well, through orange-colored glasses. But, no, I appreciate y'all's, y'all's well, perspective. You could have had holding in that situation if the ball's not in the year. My understanding is you cannot have pass interference till the ball's in the air. You could have holding if that occurs before the ball is in the air. That's correct, that's correct Jimmy. It has to be uh, – okay. yeah, it has to – Pass interference for defense starts when the ball is thrown. Mm-hmm. Pass interference for the offense starts when the ball is snapped. Doug, let me, I'll, I'll do this. I'll go back and look at it again. I was more focused on the interception act rather than perhaps holding before the pass was thrown. So I'll look at it again, but that's that was yeah. my perspective. Okay. Thank you, Doug. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate yes, it, guys. Sir. Thanks very much. Doug, thank you very much. When you have, let's just say, for instance, not saying this was the play, but We've all seen it where there's contact both ways. Sure. There's chicken fighting. Exactly. Uh, That's then, what we called it when I was on the field. Yeah. And then as Jimmy was talking about, you've got two. You have the offensive play, you have the receiver, and the defender that are both trying to make a play at the same spot. Um, more often than not, unless you see something that impedes the receiver's ability to get to the football or run his route, it, it is just going to be whichever man get, gets their first win. Yeah, John, you almost quoted the rule word for word. The way it reads is for pass interference, offense or defense, there has to be an obvious attempt to impede the opponent. And and I'm sure Doug knows this, but just there's no illegal contact beyond five yards of the line of scrimmage like in the NFL. So that wouldn't it wouldn't have been illegal contact necessarily. Mm-hmm. You would have had to have holding or something like that as opposed to some type of a bump along the way because that is not a college rule. We go next to Alan. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Alan. Yes, I, I had a follow-up question on the helmet coming off. Okay. If, if uh, say, a linebacker's helmet comes off and he gives himself up, uh, is it a personal foul or is it discretion if he's in the mix that an offensive player comes in and engages him? Uh, is there a rule to protect him if he gives himself up? There is. That's a good question, Alan. There really is because he's take he has taken himself out of the play. Now you know, it, granted, it happened. It have to be more than just a brush or something. But if somebody just unloads on him because he's stopped, that'd be almost the same thing as fair catch interference, where the guy gives a fair catch signal. So by him stopping, he's taking himself out of the play. So that would be a a good a uh, good scenario for a personal foul. Okay. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Does that player in that situation have an obligation to try to run away from the action if no. his helmet has come off? No. He it, just cannot engage in it. He, he can cannot stand participate there. in the play. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. If he's standing there and they happen to run by him, that's that doesn't count. Yeah. As long as he doesn't try to reach out and tackle him. So. Yeah. Okay. Alan, we appreciate it. We've got more with Gerald Hodges to join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company. This is Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. The station where winners listen and listeners win. 99.1, the sports animal. Sports Talk continues with Jimmy Himes. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Back to the phones we go. It's Doug who's up next. Hello, Doug. Hey, guys. It must be Doug Day. It must be. <laughs> hey, Doug. Is. How are you? 
<laughs> Fine, how are you guys? Good. Doing well. uh, two comments. Uh, I see the midget is complaining that uh, Auburn got to kick that field goal with one second left. You remember when Auburn returned the 109-yard field goal against Alabama? Sure enough. Time had, time had expired, and the officials put one second on for Alabama to try a field goal. Yeah, turnabout's fair play, and that one-second kick has not benefited Alabama one bit, has it? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing somebody that can have one, number one recruiting classes for 10 years can't get somebody and kick a field goal or an extra point. And the play you're talking about, I don't know if you mentioned it, it was six years ago to the day of the oh, Alabama. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, yeah, of the yeah. Alabama Auburn game so, from this uh, past Saturday. Yeah. Right. And the other thing is uh, the uh, personal, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct in the Mississippi Mississippi State game. Y'all remember last week I called in and, and talked to Dr. Punch. We had gone to the Abilene Christian Mississippi State game. Yep. And the Mississippi State player had dived in, somersaulted in the end zone on the first play. Uh, first touchdown, they didn't call a unsportsmanlike conduct. And this play happened almost literally at the same spot. And my personal opinion is, if I was a coach, I would have made him ride the bus back to Oxford, and he would never play the game for me again, which, of course, is moot because his coach got fired because he had to be a moron and dive into the end zone. Well, on this situation, I, you're talking about the most recent one, wanted to dive into the end zone. It was the mimicking no, the bulldog. No, I'm talking about the, yeah, the, the bulldog, yeah. yeah. And there, the other thing, Gerald, I, I, I know uh, Rocky always said, you guys are the judges and not the legislators and make the rule. I'm about ready to make a rule that if you get an unsportsmanlike conduct call on the touchdown, then you call it then and it goes back, grab the touchdown off and go back 15 yards from the line of scrimmage. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. How, what do you have to do to make these idiots understand you're going to get a penalty for something like that? Well, they're, you're close to that now, Doug. The rule is, if you know, you remember used to that they had an unsportsmanlike like at the goal line waving the ball at the opponent or, say, inside the five, they would let them go uh-huh. ahead and score and penalize on the kickoff. But now this year, well, last couple of years, the rule has changed. If they if they do some unsportsmanlike act before they cross the goal line, even if it's a one-yard line, they'll bring it back yeah. to the one-yard line and penalize them 15 and take the touchdown off the board. So, Doug, Doug, didn't you say yeah. somebody just somersaulted in the end zone and wasn't penalized? Yeah, remember yeah. we talked about it yeah. right. with Jerry Punch last week, and I yeah. think you mentioned it to Gerald. But he, I mean, he did that. It is uh, what's his name Hill. They're a really good runner. I mean, he just flat out somersaulted in the end zone, and Jerry Punch said he was on the ten yard line and couldn't believe they didn't call it unsportsmanlike conduct. One uh, now, this rule, I think I'm right about this, John. Maybe you can back me up. I think the first call was against a, an Australian punter from LSU. Sure was. I think it was a, maybe a fake punt. And he started, correct. I don't know, dancing, whatever, taunting on, on maybe around the eight or ten yard line. Yes, he did. And they flagged him, and and that that goes back now a few years. It, That's been several years of rules, yeah. and they did call that one back. Do, do you remember I, that one? I do. The the LSU punter, and I thought, well, that's a heck of a guy to get the first penalty on that particular on the new rule change. <laughs> on the new sure rule, yeah, right. punter, yeah. <laughs> I guess they don't have that rule in rugby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. See you guys. Always enjoy you, Gerald. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll get a break. Actually, we won't get a break. Doug, we appreciate the call. Let's go next to Bam. Hi, you're on Sports Talk. Hey, guys. I've got a question for Gerald. Uh, In the Tennessee-Vandy game, Vandy made a first down, and then there was a penalty against them uh, after 
they made the first down. I think it was a dead ball foul. And they backed them up 15 yards, but then it was first and 10, and I thought it was going to be first and 25. What's the rule on that? Okay, that's a good question, ma'am. The, what they do, and they, that, that rule's been in for a while, but if you make a first down or you know whatever, then you will you will enforce the penalty 15 yards from wherever the spot that it's enforced from. And there's several different spots, but you enforce the penalty and then you make it first and 10. Now, once you mark the ball ready for play, if you have a unsportsmanlike conduct or something like that, that's after the referee's blown the whistle and marked the ball ready for play. If you have an unsportsmanlike or any foul after that, then it's penalized. You know, you could have a first and 25 or, you know, first and 15, say, anything like, which would be just like a false start. Yeah. Bam, I, this, that rule changed. I don't know. It's been, it's 15 been good or 20 while. years yeah. ago. Yeah. It used to be you could have first and 25. And I think the rules maker decided that was too penal. Yeah. Right. Well, the coaches, <clears throat> so they, which is, the, coaches, is the yeah. rules committee is coaches. So they decided yeah. a first and 25 was pretty severe. Yeah. You know, so that's a way, that's the reason that came about, Bam. But that was perceptive of you to pick up on that because that did happen during that game uh, against in Tennessee Vanderbilt. Bam, are yeah. you interested in officiating? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good question, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, thanks. I appreciate the clarity. Yes, sir. 656-9900, 656-9900, star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. We've got one more segment with Gerald Hodges coming up as you listen to Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. We work all day under a neon Budweiser sign. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. From the Budweiser Studios of Cumulus Broadcasting, we are Sports Radio WNML. segment to today's edition of Sports Talk with Jimmy Himes. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest, SEC replay official, Gerald Hodges. Gerald, if you would, uh, let's uh, let's go through uh, the substitution rule. There was certainly a key illegal substitution that was called in the game over the weekend. So if an offensive team substitutes, then the official stands over the ball until the other team has sufficient time to make substitutions as well, correct? Correct. Excuse me. And typically, they need to start that substitution process within three seconds. In other words, you know, that's just kind of, of when the clock uh, of when the forty second clock starts. Exactly ticking, right. When the center judge comes up over the ball, and then you know the defense will get uh, three seconds to begin it. You know, substitution. So then, once that happens, they get their players in, and then you know the referee will move him back off the ball, and they'll then they'll. So if you, if you wait 20 seconds, let's say, into the play clock to substitute, well, you got to give the defense time to substitute. You may be subject to a delay of the game or be forced to call a timeout, right? That's correct. If the, if the offense waits too late into the play clock mm-hmm. to start the substitution process and then in, in the process of the defense getting their allotted time, the, the play clock runs out, then you could be subject to a delay of game. What What is – 
considered allotted time? What's reasonable as far as allowing the defense to make a substitution? Is it five to seven seconds, or are you, are you kind of playing that by ear? It depends on them? field position, you know, okay. also how far away you are from their bench, that type of thing. So if they but, got to run to the end zone, you get a little bit more time. Right. So, okay. But – Typically, like I said, they they have a, a round and it's it's a moving target. And then, of course, too, you know, if you're in the hurry up offense, that type of thing, that plays into it. We don't want to impede either team, you know, with the tempo. But typically, you know, around three seconds to recognize there's a there's a substitution on offense. Get your correct players started on the way to the field, and then they've got enough. Then you know they don't walk. They don't get you know, but they're supposed to come on in a you know pretty expedious manner so and then get off the field so and then once that happens they'll the center judge will move to the you know his position and then you go and once that center judge moves to that position the defense cannot really substitute anymore i mean they're done right well they can it's, substitute all the way they up they can try they can okay. they can substitute even up until the ball is snapped okay but it's it's substitute at your own peril that's correct yeah, that's the key. Yeah, because then that, that's a way to either create a possible delay or to get caught with too many men on the field. Right. And, of course, they, you know, that was a big deal when everybody was really running a hurry-up offense. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they didn't substitute. And, you know, people were under the impression, well, the defense can't substitute either. They can, but it's, you know, it's at their own risk. Right. Exactly. If you want to get a late substituted question in for Gerald, this appearance, 656-9900, 656-9900. We do need to say congratulations to Dawn. She heard the cue to call with today's winning word. She called in with the right word, and now she is the proud owner of a $50 gift card to Mark Nelson Denham. So congratulations, Dawn. And again, a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Tennessee and all parties involved had to work around a couple of weather delays. What's that like when you've got – what is it like for the entire crew because – I would imagine the uh, the head referee is kind of involved in anything with game management and or officials that can tell you what the weather forecast is. How is it as a crew chief to uh, to be in that position versus say how is it for a crew member if the game has been halted? Well, there again, the referee is the primary contact for the crew, and obviously, you know, when lightning is detected within fifteen miles, they will let the referee know on his headset. At eight miles, then they shut it down, clear the field. So he's got, you know, he's kind of aware of that a little bit. So, uh, but we had a two hour and 29 minute delay last year. Uh, the lights in the stadium went out. Whoa. Press box lights went out. It messed up our dinner that night also. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get a call from Bob. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Bob. Hello. This may have already been uh, discussed, but I came in late to the party. Um, the first, after um, Garantano threw the interception, Vanderbilt's first drive when they fumbled, what was the penalty on Tennessee that negated that fumble? That was uh, a penalty in which uh, number 94, his helmet came off, and so he continued to participate in the play. Now what happened was a Vanderbilt player got a face mask call for jerking off the helmet of Alante Taylor, number two. So the penalty was on Vanderbilt 
for grabbing the face mask, it was uh, offset when Matthew Butler's helmet came off, but he continued to participate in the play. Okay. So is he just supposed to kind of put his hands up and like he didn't block somebody in the back whenever that occurs? No, he doesn't have you know, to be that demonstrative, but he does, he does have to stop running. You know, okay. So, okay. But, yeah, then yeah. you just had offsetting penalties and replayed the down. Okay, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thanks, Bob. Let's go next to John. Hi, John. How are you? How's it going, man? Doing well, thanks. I have an old question that I'm not sure if it's ever came up uh, uh, in this in this discussion, uh, and it re- involves the tempo. Um, there was a situation a couple of years ago where you had a quarterback that actually physically moved a ref while he was trying to keep the game going. And I'm curious what um, what our official on the radio would would have done if he had been that individual. Would he have would he have flagged that quarterback? That's a good question. I would have to seen you know what he did, you know that type of thing. But obviously, if you if you interfere with the administration of the game, that can be a 15 yard penalty. Oh, uh, they might have been a little slow getting the ball down. Who knows? And you know you just have to kind of be there. Uh, but typically, they they. The way they tell them on the field is, you know, be, you know, be expedient in putting the ball down, but do not run to the ball. You know, we're, don't favor one team over the other. Uh, and we try to get a rhythm going from the very start, you know, especially if the team runs a lot of uh, no huddle or, you know, hurry up offense. So we try to get a rhythm down so that they, they understand about how long they're going to have to, you know, to put the ball in play. So that's one you almost have to see, but I mean, that's, any any contact with a game official, you know, deliberate contact is is penalized or can be penalized. Put it that way. Well, and and the, the situation I'm I'm referencing is the well known Jameis Winston. You know, he was trying to hurry up and get the playoff. The official was standing waiting for the defense to get their substitution, and he physically moved him. I know afterwards both sides tried to sugarcoat it, but I, I still. Very seldom hear any officials that would actually take exception to that, and it amazes me because of the the physical interference. Right. Well, that's a, that's one you'd almost have to see. But now, if they if they were holding them holding them up so the defense could substitute, that means the offense would have had to have substituted prior to that. So, oh, uh, you know, I, they may have just scolded him severely and said, you know, don't do that again. But uh, they try to. They try to work with him, but if, you know, if he gets to be a problem, they'd obviously do something, I would think. John, we sure do appreciate it. Then you also had, in a bowl game, um, Kentucky lost its best running back and perhaps its best offensive player when an official lands a hand to try and help him up. He doesn't want the hand up, so he swatted the hand away, and he was ejected. Oh, that's tough. That, that's, that's a quick tough. trigger. That's it was really trigger. tough because that was my star running back on my fantasy <laughs> team. <laughs> Here, that's now right. we get to the bottom yeah, of that the was issue. Just, that was just awful, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. But that th- you should have been a little bit more patient. Exactly. I would yeah. think from that perspective. Definitely. So, yeah. Uh, Jared, when do you uh, get bowl assignments and find out where you might be uh, for the uh, for the holidays? With that? Okay, the uh, obviously the, the selection committee meets next week. Sunday evening at eight o'clock after all the conference championships are over. So, and then they will select the final, final four. 
and then the bowls will be you know filled out in order after that so it'd be probably next sunday night or monday probably monday before we'll know where we're going joe we appreciate it hopefully we have you one more week next week after all the conference championship games are played to answer any more questions great hope to be here thank, thank you. you that's gerald hodges his appearance brought to you by ag heinz company